The Sighted Blind Podcast is an edutainment podcast designed to amplify the voices of the Black disabled community by highlighting culture, coping, and literature. Now, let's get to the show. up y'all we back we back in this thing how y'all doing how y'all feeling um before we start this episode as you can tell by the title we're gonna be telling our stories today of all the times that we ran into wet floor signs but um I just want to say thank you like I want to thank y'all because for making us who we are and putting us who we need to be (laughs) really though y'all did not have to listen to us you didn't have to sit for 30 minutes and listen to us talk about things that you might not have been interested in so we thank you we appreciate the love um to everybody that followed us on instagram to everybody that rated because some of y'all rated the podcast we appreciate that thank Um, you thank you to all of the positive feedback to all of the constructive criticism because I got some of that too and I appreciated it I don't want y'all to just tell us oh yeah the podcast was great we have lots of room to grow um but like we told y'all in the beginning like it's we're just trying to tell our stories and bring voices to people that usually don't have them so we thank you we appreciate it um, we thought that we would start this podcast by kind of giving a background on what it is that we deal with and then telling our individual stories. Um, so if y'all don't know, we are both diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, commonly known as RP, um, RP Nation. What's that? <laughs> RP Nation, stand up though. We be deep out here. RP Nation. Oh, yes, deep. very deep, very deep. Okay. Super deep. Um, but what RP is is um, it's a degenerative eye disease basically what that means is you lose vision over time obviously because both of us still have some vision Uh, there are tons of strains I believe about 60 to 70 at this point and so that means that each person is super different Um, each person that has RP has some similar experiences but we also like vary um, what happens essentially is that you lose night vision first and then you use you lose pockets of peripheral vision uh, one of the things that I noticed is that when you tell people that you don't have peripheral vision they think it's just the sides but we're here to tell y'all that that means the bottom and the top too yes, so gone it's a complete circle so just imagine looking through a paper towel roll and so this gets smaller and smaller over time so for some of us our peripheral vision is way worse than others like I can say that right my peripheral is trash but yours is okay (laughs) um so yeah my central like I shouldn't even say my central vision because that's not really here and 
you pretty much like your central vision goals, okay? <laughs> no, no, nah, in, nah. ca- in case you didn't know, <laughs> these glasses real strong, sis. Don't <laughs> don't play the people like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so as just a recap for that, basically it means that um, we will eventually lose both peripheral and central vision. Now, granted, for some people, they don't, some people, they stay the same their entire lives and it doesn't progress at all. For others, it progresses super quickly and there's no way to tell. Uh, But RP is vast and very large and has various amounts of various amounts of variants is that a thing i feel like <laughs> i feel like well, i'm just talking now hopefully y'all as a rest, what she is saying is rp is not one size fits all when i met jay i just knew we were going to be two perfectly blind mice but yeah our vision is completely different completely different and I, I really thought it was like a puzzle piece. Like, but, okay, technically she's still my puzzle piece. Puzzle pieces are different. But I just assumed that we all, everyone with RP, when I say we, had the exact same vision. And that is not the case at all. No, not at all. I know people that have been diagnosed in recent years and have almost no vision left. And I'll get to when I was diagnosed when I tell my story. But as you know, you know, it's been a really long time since I was diagnosed. So you just, man, you never know. And so with that comes a lot of uncertainty in life. And I'm sure just like I have had experiences Sometimes that's easy to deal with the uncertainty. Other times you're like, yo, like, I wish I just knew. (laughs) I wish I just knew what was, just tell me what's going to happen so then I can prepare. Uh, But that's not the case uh, with this. And so, yeah, y'all, moral of the story is that we are both legally blind, but definitely have vastly different vision with the same disorder. And so I thought it would be very important for us to tell our individual stories and um, kind of like let y'all in a little bit because uh, I have been talking about this for a long time. Drea hasn't. And so bear with us as we tell this. Let us welcome you into our lives. I hope that you enjoy what we decide to share and don't be afraid to ask questions. I will definitely ask, answer any questions that you have. I'm completely cool with that. But yeah, hope y'all enjoy the episode. So, um, Tree, you want to start? You want to? You want to go? Sure, let's let's go. Since you know, <laughs> I got hit with this bug first. <laughs> okay, so I got diagnosed with macular degeneration actually, when I was five, which is a completely different eye disease. Similar, but different than retinitis pigmentosa. Of course, at five years old, I had no idea what that meant. And being completely honest, in hindsight, that really didn't mean anything to me as a five-year-old. I know Mm -hmm. we were at school. I was about to go to first grade and I wasn't even, this like literally on my fifth birthday is when I got the diagnosis, May 19th, 1995. 
I'll never forget this. We were at school like maybe two days beforehand and they were doing a vision and hearing screening. I passed a hearing one with above average ratings. I heard every beat. I heard them even like plugging up the instruments <laughs> before they even were going off. But yeah, I heard flying colors, you know, valedictorian of the hearing test. I did that. Yes, yes. Great job, Drea. Came down to the vision, on the other hand, I, you can basically say I didn't take the test at all because we were supposed to raise our hand if we saw a Christmas tree looking in a pair of what looked like I'd say what looks like binoculars to the average person who may Why or may do I not. feel like this is coming back to me? Why do I hey, feel like... Because, man, trauma. Trauma, okay? It's PTSD. Um, <laughs> seriously, though. <laughs> no, really, though. Yeah. So, uh, as I was saying, my I, I couldn't see the tree at all. So, you're supposed to raise your hand if you saw the tree. Raise your hand, you see the tree. And because my parents were and still are crazy... I did what I was supposed to do, especially as a five-year-old. You weren't going to call either of them and said I acted up. That was never going to happen. Not at five. Started rebelling maybe 20 years later, but not at five. <laughs> not at five. I was still good drill. And so the teacher called my parents, and I'm going to assume, because, again, I was five, that she said, hey, this didn't go well. I think you need to take Andrea to an actual eye doctor. She she can read. She can write her name. Because I was very advanced as a five-year-old to the point where I was supposed to skip first grade. But my parents weren't here for that. And I guess this is part of the reason why. I don't really know. I didn't raise me. They did. Um, <laughs> blame them. <laughs> Congratulate them. Whatever you want to do. Because here I But... We went to the eye doctor two days later, which was literally on my birthday because I was so ready for Chuck E. Cheese and I never saw that red. <laughs> but I go to the eye doctor and they tell my parents that it's scarring on my retina, which will result in me seeing through, like, like I'm seeing through a straw. And because the font is larger when you're in grade school or pre-grade school era, like I, it's not like I couldn't see what I needed to see. Now, I do recall getting in trouble for sitting close to the TV and them always telling me, hey, get back, or like pulling me back away from the TV. But I didn't really know what life would be ahead of me at five. Mm -hmm. I wasn't truly bothered until... Like maybe third, fourth grade-ish. And I got to be eight, nine, nine years old, nine, ten, somewhere around there. And they're passing out textbooks. This is like maybe second, third day of school. Luckily, because my name is Andrea, I'm almost always in the front. Cause my last name starts with a D currently. So that still warrants me to be pretty close to the front. So no issues there and again you're this is in grade school so even the teachers writing in large print at the time whether they knew it or not so that wasn't an issue but we passing out textbooks and because my parents went above and beyond making sure that I had all the resources I needed and the RP wouldn't I guess place me in some type of box they made sure I had accommodations so 
and they made sure the school followed those accommodations. So mm-hmm. I had so I had large print, but this is um, to the listeners. Please do not be um, misguided in that. I was blessed to have parents that were advocates that were making sure everything was everything. Right. And yeah. that's that's often not the case. Mm-hmm. It's an entire other story that I'll get to. I'm pretty sure in this episode and just throughout this podcast, but my parents made sure I had what I needed and I needed large print textbooks. Well, in those days, instead of them printing, and I made that sound like I went to school with Rosa Parks. But <laughs> in those days. <laughs> woo. Okay. So when I was in elementary school, which was not that long ago, people. Uh-huh. <laughs> My, shut up, Jay. Uh, my textbooks were large print, but instead of them just being large print, everything was large. Okay, the book itself was like an unfolded newspaper, humongous, a weapon, if you will. Could not fit in anybody's backpack, a locker, none of that. My book stayed in my desk. Okay, mine for me, just for me. But they were humongous in comparison to my classmates. So we're kids. So other kids want, they want the big one. You in Pizza Hut, you want the largest slice of pizza, right? right so they, right. So they yeah. wanted a large book. So when I was younger, it was cool. Like, Drea got the big book. Drea got the big paper. Drea get to sit in the best seat on movie day in class. Because all of that, that's cool as a elementary school student maybe even tripled in the middle but when puberty hit and I'm not even sure if we were supposed to get this in depth in the story no go ahead but when puberty hit my disability for me anyway became a major insecurity like oh here we go another thing to add to my list of things that are wrong because I did not talk like the rest of the girls in my class I did not develop like the rest of the girls in my class. Hell, I'm 30 years old and I still have not developed like Mm -hmm. the rest of the girls (laughs) in my class. Do you hear me what I say? I blame my mama. But having, and I was, and I was super smart. And I'm not saying that like being arrogant by any means. I was smart to the point where I think my teachers may have even been like oh let me make sure I'm on myself because they'll say that to this day and I still keep in contact with a lot of my teachers even down to my first grade teacher hey Miss Jones I know you listening uh what's up Miss Jones and she was tall too y'all she still is I because I was a giant which was another thing I was very very tall taller than the boys in my class very very skinny had long hair and I had to have glasses so I did not want to wear them. I would try to hide them. I would purposely lose them till one day my mama in true black mama fashion told me, look, you need these glasses. (laughs) I ain't about to keep buying you no glasses. Lose another pair. Well, Mm -hmm. since I didn't have the $9 million that our glasses cost in case lens crackers want to sponsor the kids. Y'all. Can we please have a sponsor? Like Lens Crafters, <laughs> Warby Parker, Somebody. Sam's, I don't know, iMart, anybody out there. But seriously, I didn't want anybody to know. So this went on from about 13 till, if I'm being completely honest, 28. 
I didn't really get comfortable until talk about talking about my vision or lack thereof openly until I was about 28 years old because it wasn't just people that don't know the struggle that people with RP and not just people with RP, people that with disabilities deal with. It was people that should know family members saying ignorant stuff like, Jay, I know this is happening to you and I'm going to end right there um, and let you tell your story and then, you know, we can talk some more. Mm-hmm. But uh, I when I tell people that I had a vision problem, because I think that's what I'd say, that maybe that sounded safer than I'm legally blind. Um, mm-hmm. They would talk louder to me or talk slower as if I'm incompetent. That, Man. That, that has <laughs> never been the case. Ever. Not once. Like, don't let that southern drawl, the Alabama slang, or the tone fool you. Because I am Webster. Okay, so she's not lying, y'all. She been like for real. seriously. I break bookshelves. That's how you know. Like I read, read. So it's I don't know. I finally got comfortable, and I I never saw me doing something like this. And so when we met, and I saw how vocal you were, and unapologetically disabled, like forget it. This is who I am. You either like it or you don't. I'm like, why have I been tripping? And it's really people are ignorant. And since I know that people are ignorant, instead of me letting their ignorance silence me, I'm trying to help y'all. So if you Mm -hmm. have ever been around somebody that was visually impaired, it is never okay to ask them how many fingers they are holding up. Because if you ask me... never. Answer. If you ask me, chances are whether we are at church or at the school <laughs> or wherever we are, my answer is not gonna be Sunday school appropriate. And that doesn't mean I curse. But don't don't do that. As that is very rude. You don't know what people deal with. Just because we're vocal about it doesn't mean that it is okay. It's not okay. Jay. Or that it's an easy thing to deal with because it's not. Oh no. No. So, like she said, we we bump into wet floor signs and keep it moving. And I'm going to keep it moving and pass this mic to Jay. So, um, it's funny because we have a whole lot of similarities, but I think that you recognize things way before I did. Well, for one, you you were diagnosed before I was. So, you were diagnosed at five and it was um, the incorrect diagnosis yes. at first the my first <laughs> memories my first memories of knowing that something was going on was literally at the eye doctor like I remember being really young and to this day I walk real slow and now I know why I walk real slow you do walk but, real slow um, <laughs> when <laughs> when I was really young All I remember is my mama always being like, come on, why are you walking behind me? Bring yourself, like, that's all I remember from being really, really young. And I, I, (laughs) we love you, mom, not a knock on mom. She was doing the best she could. Um, But that's what I remember. Like, I remember following behind people. I remember that I would always look at the ground. And it wasn't because I was incompetent. It was because I was trying to follow people's footsteps. Um, 
but at some point I guess my mother realized something ain't right so she took me to the eye doctor and I remember that day this is at age seven I remember being there for so man what you saw you saw a shift change too (laughs) so long and then being there I also and it was a black doctor I wish I knew his name like I would I don't know but we were in Montgomery, Alabama, and I I remember that he kept calling students into the room. Like, he kept calling different people into the room to look at me. And, of course, I'm like, yo, like, I was just, I, I guess, I guess I just thought I'm just supposed to be getting glasses or something. I don't know. But all I know is we were there forever. And then after that, I don't remember my mom really explicitly telling me what was going on with me but I also do know that I was a very accident prone kid like uh, at one point um I ran my foot into something and like ripped off my whole big toenail and then the next year at school I was playing outside and we had portables outside with the air conditioner and like one of the air conditioners was messed up and I was running after a ball stood up and it like your girl had stitches in her forehead it was just my elementary school years were a lot for me I believe it was in the fifth grade that I kind of recognized that something about me was different because my mom wouldn't let me be in PE. Like She was like, you're not doing that. And I remember because I was a military brat, I would move often. And every time we moved schools, she would have to have what I now know as IEP meetings. But she would have to have a meeting and convince them that I didn't need to be in PE. All I wanted to do was play Red Rover and play dodgeball, y'all. But my mama was not having it, okay? Now I know why she wasn't having it. I probably wouldn't be having it if if that were the case with my child either. But at that age, you're like, yo, I just want to, I just want to play kickball. I just want to play four square. Like you're ruining my life, mother. (laughs) Um, I would say that by the time I got to middle school, early high school years, it's when it really started to affect me mentally. And for the same reasons as you, right, you're going through a whole lot already at that age. Your body's changing. You feel weird inside. In my case. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for the changes. Man, it's just a lot of weirdness a lot of crazy things going on at that age and so I think by that point I had been introduced to like receiving orientation and mobility which is basically learning how to use a white cane and I just remember being like but I can see though like why do I need this thing (laughs) why are you making me do this I don't need to learn how to use this thing. And so it happened to be that I had a really, really great eye doctor that she was a military doctor. Shout out to Dr. Nimmers. I wonder where she is at this point, but she's the one that diagnosed me legally blind at 15. And I remember this because y'all know that at 15, that's when people right. start driving. And... um. <clears throat> So before that, like, I kind of knew that my vision wasn't cool, but I didn't really expect that I would never be able to drive. Actually, at one point, 
my dad was teaching me how to drive and I had a little we were living I want to say we were living in Hawaii and I had a little white like I don't even know what kind of car that was I don't know a little white something and he had fully expected me to be able to drive that car well um that didn't happen because they were like yeah so you're legally blind when you tell a 15 year old that they're legally blind and they've only ever known the sight that they had and they're like yo I can see that's not gonna go over well so needless to say from probably the age of 15 to about 21 22 my self-esteem was terrible um not terrible because I wasn't cute I'm definitely cute um terrible because you know those are the age where you like want male attention right so not because of that I didn't have a shortage of that literally because I felt like this is a death sentence like I'm never gonna do anything and what's funny is because when I was 17 year old 17 years old right before I went to college I did go through um, blindness training at the Colorado Center for the Blind but when I tell you I hated it I was like braille I'm about to cheat so I can't read braille at this point because I would cheat in class and take off my blindfold (laughs) so I can read braille by looking at it which defeats the purpose um I hated 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 everything about that training except one thing and that one thing was like our home management sector or home management classes and that was really where I excelled because I was able to like cook and all that kind of stuff under blindfold without cheating and then I recognized hey like I might want to do this in life uh, which leads me to figuring out that I wanted to have a profession in some type of rehab whether it be physical or doing like life skills training and all that kind of stuff so I mean it ended up being a good thing in the end but I just wanted to point that out because at this point in my life I am settled and okay with my disability but I wasn't always that way Um, now I have always kind of been pretty vocal about it but that was more so to protect myself like I'm going somewhere and if people don't know, I'm not about to, I got, I got hurt so many times in my younger years that I just didn't want to injure myself anymore. And that's really, (laughs) that's really what it was. I was just like, oh, let me tell these people. I got to tell everybody because if something happens, I need you to grab me. Can you please snatch me real quick? Because I'm not going to see it and I don't have time to be injuring myself all the time. But I can definitely say, yeah, at this point, I'm pretty settled in it. I'm pretty okay with what might happen. And I'm okay with not knowing at this point, even though it's not a fun thing to be like, I don't know, any day now, just any day now, I might wake wake up and it just be dark. That's never going to be a cool thing. That's never going to be fun. (laughs) Um, But I am okay with the thought. Also, too, there's so much freaking technology and working in the field uh and working with people who are totally blind open my eyes no pun intended um open my (laughs) eyes to a whole lot of things and it just makes me realize that if you're gonna be blind now is the time to be blind I'm telling y'all there's so much 
people can do anything that they absolutely want to do in this life at this moment. So I'm grateful for that, definitely. But, you know, it's I'm a work in progress and both of us are works in progress. Um, in some ways, I excel in other ways, not so much. I also have my days where I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk to you. And I don't want to think about you because you are reminding me of what's going on in my life. So it's it's not a cakewalk, y'all. But, you know, if we can use this platform to bring awareness and have more people understand, you know, what we go through on a daily basis, then it's all going to be worth it to me in the end. So, yeah. That's my story. That's my story. So, okay. Jay hit on her career. And I'm pretty sure we'll do an episode about this later. But as an eight, overly ambitious eight-year-old, I wanted to be a pediatrician and a lawyer. Okay? Both. Who in the world would do that on purpose? I don't know. But eight-year-old <laughs> me was determined to be Dr. Esquire, baby. I was this that's who I was in my head. Until again, my black mama <laughs> quickly reminded me. And she, y'all, she act like she did not tell me this. On her like <laughs> and she is in heaven now, probably rolling her eyes, but she, she swore she did not say this. She told me ain't nobody gonna take their child to a blind doctor. So I was like, well, no doctor. Lawyer, lawyer, lawyer <laughs> me, please. Y'all, my dad was livid. But in retrospect, I really understand why my mom told me that because while technology is definitely way more advanced than it was for my uncle because I do have an uncle that is completely blind they think he went blind before maybe three years old but he worked for the IRS for over 30 years he lives alone he's a bowler he's been on Ripley's believe it or not he plays beat ball which is baseball but for blind people the ball beeps if you did not guess it by the title that man is amazing because he's also a widower that lives completely alone in Cleveland, Ohio. His daughter, his daughters live in Virginia. But seeing him up close and personal and seeing how much he accomplished and how independent he was made me want to mirror that. So I didn't want people to know. I didn't want people to help me. If people did know about my vision, they were really in my circle. Because other than teachers and like I just said, my closest friends and family who knew by default, it's people that I went to high school with that still had no idea. And I'm like, I don't understand how y'all did not know. My ACT was bigger than me. Literally. Literally. <laughs> like, dude, that thing was so big. I like cheating on off my paper was easy. So all of y'all graduation money, y'all owe me. Because, you know, some of that's supposed to go to me. <laughs> Man, get your I cut. need it. But, it's but okay. seriously, though, uh, I decided to be a lawyer because I knew, with, like I said, with the advancements in technology and all of these screen readers and what have you, if I was to ever lose my sight totally, I could be a lawyer.
because I'm essentially a researcher and a writer, which are two of my passions, y'all. I love to read. I love to write. I probably do that more than I do anything else, and even down to get eye fatigue. So, which means my eyes are tired. They get water, very watery, and things are more blurry than they already are. So that's when I have to completely shut down and take what I call a cave day. But when I initially wanted to be an attorney, I wanted to be an entertainment attorney. Maybe represent somebody like, I don't know, Meg Thee Stallion. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But with age and with life experience, I realized that I would love to be an attorney for people that are like me, the disabled people, not just disabled people, but from an educational standpoint, because like I said on a previous episode, or maybe I did not, that I was a teacher prior to pursuing this law degree. And education law is a thing. And people not getting the appropriate accommodations they need is mm-hmm, really a thing, mm-hmm. especially in the minority community. And it might not be because the school is not equipped because this is a federal mandate, which means there are federal dollars allocated for these things. Absolutely. Their parents might not know. I was blessed because my mom was a nurse. My dad is a college professor. So it's not like they could just pull the wool over their eyes. But then I also recognized that I was an anomaly because even as a teacher, I saw so many students who needed or either had IEPs who were not getting the accommodations that they needed to excel. And because that hurt me, because as just a teacher with no formal special education training, it wasn't much I could do. What am I supposed to tell my administrator? Hey, this isn't happening how it's supposed to happen. And they know that. And then something happened. And then I look, I'm in trouble. So my, my hands were tied in that instance. So I couldn't tell the parents. I couldn't tell the students. They didn't know. And then with HIPAA, which is basically health privacy, <laughs> I couldn't say anything, period. Legally, I could not do that. So I want to be an education attorney and fight for the disabled students because they already have enough to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like you said, I just like, help them. we are fortunate. We fortunate very, because very we have so. educated parents. Right? My mom is a behavioral therapist. And so even if she didn't know the complete ins and outs at the time of what was going on, she made sure she did the research so she could be an advocate for me until she taught me to be an advocate for myself. But being in the field that I'm in and being in those meetings, you know, as a professional, being in IEP meetings and meeting parents and recognizing that parents are in in some ways stifling their children's growth because they hold them back. They don't want them to be independent. They want them to be with mama and daddy forever. And it really does. When I see stuff like that, it really breaks my heart. Like I really, I really get upset because it's because of a lack of education and a lack of exposure to different people that, 
that sometimes people are just like, okay, well, you can't do nothing. So we're going to give you all that we can right now because we know you'll do nothing else in life. That's so sad. Who wants to live? First of all, who wants to instill that into their children? But then also who wants to live that way? Like your quality of life is significantly lowered by just not having the resources that you need. So man yeah like I said like we're both just very fortunate that we weren't in that situation and I think about that all the time shout out to right, our parents like, y'all really did the thing I'm y'all so really proud did. of y'all okay. okay because y'all were minority parents with a disabled black child that's that is mm-hmm. I cannot imagine how heavy that was especially for both of our mothers whose jobs are essentially to fix people or to help yes. people and they couldn't help us because mm-hmm. I don't I don't recall seeing my mother cry literally but two times in my life and she passed away she passed away when I was 23 but I literally only recall seeing her cry twice in her life and one time was when her mom died okay which should bring should bring you to tears for you know the most for most, for most people. Mm-hmm. And the second time is a time that if I talk about it will make me cry. So that's not happening. But I, my dad told me it made like they both both of them cried when they were told about the life that a doctor said we should live. Because you know uh, there, there are mm-hmm. for the people that are listening there are so many people that think Jay and I should basically be in a nursing home. Just not do nothing. Like, just not pause on like, don't travel, don't cook, don't live alone, don't pursue it. You getting on that plane? By don't yourself? pursue. You moving that right. plane by don't yourself? Don't pursue advanced <laughs> degrees. Just literally do. Don't cook. Like, don't do anything. But that has been the narrative. Do not think like that. The dis and disability equals to disqualified because that's not the case mm-hmm. by any means there are so many amazing disabled people out here literally killing the game and I had no idea I guess you can say that even I was ignorant to the fact that the disabled have been muted for so freaking long and still are don't think that this podcast means that we just got a seat at the table out the gate no 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 Absolutely. The American Disabilities Act is 30 years old. I am 30 years old. So crazy. I did not know that until this year. The ADA, I thought this was at least established, I'd say in about the 50s, because you know, we couldn't always vote either. So I know we very late when it comes down to legislation. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea that the ADA was 30. And that that's so bothersome and just mind-blowing to me that in a country that is supposed to be, I don't know, creme de la creme, top shelf amongst nations in development, that the protection for us is still so very limited and compromised, especially during this pandemic. For sure. 
And if y'all don't know what that means, what she's talking about with the ADA, that means that before 30 years ago, persons with disabilities didn't have any rights. So you could walk into a building, a person couldn't fit a wheelchair down the hallway, they look at you and be like, oh, well, you're in that wheelchair. I don't know what you want me to do about it. Can't come in here. Sorry. Things like that. Very simple I mean, I would even call those luxuries. Those are basic human rights, right? We didn't have those 30 years ago. 30. So there's a long, a long way to go. A very long way to go. And we are just a small piece of a microcosm of things um, that we hope will help propel us forward. But you know, like sh- just starting by sharing this kind of stuff reaches people and makes people realize like that differences in others are not negative things, that they should be embraced and that everybody deserves to be loved on and to have a decent quality of life and do the things that they want to do in this life and leave the marks that they want to leave on this earth if we can if we're afforded that you know so this was just us taking the time to share with y'all to let you know you know what it feels like a small part of it and our goal after this is to have a Q&A very soon very very soon so that y'all can ask us questions like ask us stuff it's okay because you wanting to learn, I don't know about you, Drea, but them wanting to learn makes a difference right. to me. Because if you're asking me questions, that means that you're willing to shift your thought processes. And that's all I really want. I just want people to try and gain an understanding. So, yeah, I really hope y'all enjoyed this episode. I think that it was very important for us to do this if we were going to be continuing this podcast um <clears throat> so that you can understand where our perspectives come from and where we're pulling from when we talk about certain topics i hope y'all are excited because the next episode is going to be about dating and that should be really really fun um <laughs> it should be really really interesting so we hope that you guys tune in and we will see you next Saturday. I don't know it's what August day that 15th. is. The next Thanks Saturday. August 15th. We appreciate you. We hope that you remain safe, sound, and just at peace during this time, y'all. Love on your people. Love on yourself. Good night. Good night.